Hey y'all, this is your girl Amber, Reaching Your Potential. In this episode, I have a really good friend of mine now because we are both in OT and both Black OTs. First of all, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for all the support from so many people who have been reaching out to me through email, through the Instagram page. It's really been, like words cannot even express how thankful I am for you guys because without you, this podcast wouldn't be where it is right now. And I know we're just getting started. So definitely keep on reaching out to me if you have any topics, if you want to be on the podcast, you don't even have to be an OT. Any type of story that you feel that you have reached your potential in something, hit me up. I would love to hear and I love to have you on here. So let me stop going to my little spiel. (laughs) Um, Let's get started. So guys, I have one of my good OT friends now because I call her my friend because we are so small. Um, Black OTs in this field, it's so small. And I feel like the more Black OTs you meet, you just have to call them friends because if you don't, like how are you going to support one another? So this is my OT friend, Danielle. And she's going to talk a little bit about herself of how she is a pediatric OT. Now, I am not a pediatric OT at all. I may be sooner or later in the future, but she's going to talk a little bit about that and some other fun things about her. So everybody, welcome Danielle. Hey, Danielle. Hey, what's up, y'all? And Amber, you're right. We're friends. <laughs> it's official. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, my name is Danielle. I am from Sacramento, California. So I'm from Northern California. Um, I am working currently in a school-based setting, and I have been since I graduated from Dominican University, um, which is in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. Um, So I've been a practicing OT for about three years or so, and it's been all in pediatrics except for one job that I don't like to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, maybe we might have to talk about that. We might have to talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, maybe not on the episode, but you know, it's fine. (laughs) But awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Danielle. So first thing I always ask any OT is how did you find out about OT? Oh, man, mine is my road to OT has been so different. I feel like compared Mm -hmm. to the bulk of people I know, a lot of my friends either have parents who are occupational therapists or had some kind of, yeah, some kind of thing with OT and I had actually none. So I went to Dominican University and I actually was in their accelerated program. So I did the uh, bachelor's to master's five years. Yeah, same here. Yeah, so it was great. Um, The way I found OT though was actually through basketball. I was a collegiate athlete and played basketball at my university and I had kind of a one-dimensional idea of what I wanted to do with my life. I definitely didn't see myself in healthcare, and but I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I kind of wanted to be an athletic trainer because, you know, that's what mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, you're in sports, <laughs> and, like, why not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, I could see myself being an athletic trainer for a university or a team or 
for high school students. I don't know, that was kind of what I wanted to do. And right. uh, shout out my freshman year coach who was like, we don't have an athletic training program. It's a small private <laughs> like liberal arts school. He's <laughs> like, I think you would be good, you know, to do occupational therapy. And I'm like, I have no clue what that is. <laughs> I'm 17 years old and she's like, you can get your master's and you would just be great. And I think I probably did like a five minute Google search and was like, you know, this okay, seems cool. cool. <laughs> and just hopped in. But I, I swear Coach Chambers was my angel. And as I started moving through the program and really started like understanding what occupational therapy is, I was like, yeah. this is the career for me. I would have had no way of finding it. Um, yeah. I don't have family in healthcare. So it never was an aspiration of mine. So it's just right. kind of how things came about I never planned to be an OT but here I am <laughs> look at that shout outs to the coaches yeah. finding out knowing about the profession yeah and I'm kind of the same way too I luckily my school had athletic training actually <laughs> they had an athletic training you should have came to Ithaca <laughs> I, was, I was looking for but I was so bent on playing basketball that it didn't matter yeah <laughs> yeah I did track in college so um I understand the whole collegiate sports thing too because I was looking into exercise science because my school was really they had a really good program for exercise science athletic training physical therapy all that stuff but for some reason I never heard about the OT program and they had the dual program there too. So I transferred into the program from there, but I was in the same mindset as you. Like I was, I was kind of thinking a little bit healthcare or in the health field, but not like a doctor, you know, like I was like, I don't want to be a doctor, maybe something health related or science related, something deal with exercise or sports <laughs> as you were thinking about athletic training. So I think we were thinking the same way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny in being an athlete, I kind of just had a one dimensional kind of idea about college and career. Like right. my whole like plan, I was playing basketball all my life and my whole plan was to get a college scholarship. And so I got mm. it, but I didn't really have a plan for college. <laughs> right. You're like, okay, <laughs> like what <Yeah>. now? <laughs> Yeah, like it wasn't it wasn't something that like my family really talked about it was like I'm working my butt off for this scholarship. So mm. I just kind of had a one dimensional idea of what careers were like and kind of probably similar to you is like, well, athletic training is cool. I've been an athlete all my life. So yeah. Right, right. Like for my family, it's funny because my family is, are all like in higher education. So either teachers or somewhere in the field of education. But I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want to be anywhere in education. So I was like, okay, how can I get out of that? You yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, it was like so hard. And um, my dad actually told me that when I leave college, I need to make sure I have a career and not mm -hmm. a job. He's like, because two different things. I'm like, all right, so what am I going to do? I'm not completely sure. <laughs> and I was telling him, like, oh, exercise science. He's like, okay, what career are you going to get with that? And I'm like, I didn't oh. think that far. <laughs> so, I'm only 18. I have no clue. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. So 
when I tell you and I are like on the same page with that, but we are because I was kind of finding myself year after year, like, okay, I'm still about to be a sophomore, then a junior, then a senior year. I need to declare a major ASAP. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so they like basically, because I wanted to go in undeclared and they basically, yeah. coach was like, no. <laughs> and I'm glad you pushed me. <laughs> good, um, good. I'm glad you pushed me. But yeah, I are. I declared health science or whatever. And the way our program was set up was we we had our pre-OT program starting our freshman year. And so all of our professors, and I probably similar with like you, all of our professors were outside of our gen ed courses were really like teaching us and sculpting us about OT from my freshman year of undergrad. And so it was kind of nice to kind of have that kind of come like full progression yeah and yeah started the actual program my junior year of undergrad it just it worked out it worked out great and I don't know it definitely was God I don't know how I mm-hmm. got the profession so yeah that's amazing all right so I know you talked a little bit about being a pediatric OT how did you make that decision <laughs> <laughs> um well kind of similar to you my mom um, has had a lot of background with kids and kids mm-hmm. have kind of always been around us or in our household and she owned her own business um, nice. daycare providing and preschool and like all of these things so kids have always been in my life but yeah I never um, like I never wanted to be a teacher like you I never was <laughs> right I like I like kids I'm creative I'm a goofball but teaching is not like what I want to do it's my only idea of working with kids so right um, when I got to the program and I had no experience in working with special ed students either so Mm -hmm. um when I got to the program and kind of learned more about like OT's role and how we support students and kids in their development it was just like this is what, <laughs> this is what I want, you know, like it's still physical, yeah. it's still creative, but I'm still able to kind of like do my own thing with it. So I kind of had my eyes set on pediatrics throughout my whole program um, until field work. So um, I did a field work in inpatient rehab and then a field work in a school setting. And I love the school setting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, but inpatient rehab was so dope. <laughs> yeah. It, so yes. it actually made me question like do I want to do pediatrics yeah, yeah. adults but I'm I'm stuck with peds so <laughs> no I feel the same way with inpatient rehab I did my specialty which was my last field work in my program in inpatient rehab and I made sure it was that setting because like I really feel like I will love this setting because for some reason like through all OT school and reading about it and kind of seeing the goal in mind I was like I think I really will enjoy this and I did I was like oh my gosh this is where my heart is like I would love to be working in an inpatient rehab facility it's so as you said it's so dope I don't know what it is about but yeah I I still think you know I don't think I will be in pediatrics forever I I do hope Mm -hmm. that can kind of like make my way back to inpatient because it's yeah. just school setting I think I don't know I don't it just was so amazing to me <laughs> with the patients and the different diagnoses and I definitely am like a neuro geek and like mm-hmm. learning about 
stroke and TBI and spinal cord. And so it just was a really cool setting to just learn. And yeah, I agree. Yeah, I feel like you learn so much in like one setting, all the different therapists are, are treating in one area. So you're seeing, as you said, all these different diagnoses, you're seeing everybody's different treatment style, you're learning while you're doing things. I don't, I think that's probably what I love about it is just like, you're always learning something every single day. And then you're, you're seeing your client progress too, because they're getting therapy so much like they're getting therapy Monday through Friday, and they're getting yeah. PT, they're getting OT, and they may get speech too. So yeah. you're like, Oh, my gosh, like they're progressing from like, from the first day I met them and eval to like, week Look three, like, different person, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, no, it's it's really cool. And I think it probably too kind of plays on our athlete side. It just was very physical and very like yeah. it made sense and it was concrete and like the things I was doing made sense and I was able to see like progress when I did it. So with kids, it's kind of not that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's like up and down, like the kid may yeah, have a good it's day a or a bad more, day. Yeah, like it's a good day or a bad day. It's a, a try this technique that didn't work. So you gotta scrap <laughs> and you know, progress is so up and down with kiddos so it's definitely been a learning curve in actually being a clinician um, rather than yeah. just you know being good with kids so for sure yeah let's talk a little bit more about like your role as a peds ot i kind of want to go a little bit into it because i don't have that much experience working with peds because of course i'm a new ot and the only experience I've had was through my level two field work working in a school setting which you're in right now and um, during that field work, in the beginning, I was overwhelmed because my CI was an OT in, at three different schools. Mm -hmm. So we had to jump around and like, okay, we see these kids at this school, and then we go to this other school and this other area, and then we go to another school. I'm like, oh my goodness, is this like every single day? So I, <laughs> I want to hear like, what is your like a one week layout for mm -hmm. yourself like how is your caseload um you know how many kids are you seeing like what is it like um yeah schools it's a beast it there's a lot of different factors that kind of go into working in a school environment and like even before I give my snapshot I think the hardest part about being a school-based therapist as an OT is we are definitely more medically based and that is you know our expertise but we're yeah. plucked into a an education system which is like a totally different mm -hmm. ecosystem and a totally different way that people kind of you know work and and so it was really hard for me to transition my medical mind to an educational mind because we didn't yeah. get that in school and so even just learning the educational system and how it works and how it's governed was like the hardest transition for me but one week it's it changes all the time <laughs> I have about right now I think I have 98 99 I might be over the 100 mark of kids on my caseload oh um, my gosh yeah. <laughs> that's I thought you were gonna say like 50 <laughs> yeah okay 100? so it's an extreme. Definitely, I would not say that if like someone is considering a school-based setting that 
you should be expected to have 100 kids. It's totally not. This is this is a district problem <laughs> that, that I'm at. Um, so like a typical number would probably be like maybe 50 to 75 kids. And that's like on the high end. Um, I have a few coworkers that or previous coworkers who have like 25 kids on their caseload. So it really just like depends. But yes, I have 100 kids and I am at four school sites. And then I also have a CODA teammate, which has been a really cool learning experience um, this year. And I supervise her, but she's really just like my teammate. We really kind of just, um, she sees part of my caseload, but I'm still responsible for all evaluations and reports and meetings Mm -hmm. and things. Um, So it just really depends on any given day. I could probably see maybe five or six kids one-on-one and then have a group session um, for maybe a self-contained classroom. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I might have like a IEP meeting or two in the afternoon. So there's a lot of time management (laughs) involved. It's nice though, because you can kind of build your own schedule, um, Mm -hmm. which is what I really like. Like I have kind of free range to kind of build my schedule based on my availability now with 100 kids right. it's a little it, hard. It's a little tight yeah <laughs> it's a little tight but other than that like as long as these students are getting their minutes that are on their their file then you know I'm in compliance so right. yeah. I feel that way with the scheduling too because even though I'm not in a school setting I'm in like home health so scheduling it's a lot (laughs) like it's so much and even though I'm like I'm new to it there was this one week at the time it was January and it was one week where I didn't realize I was going way over my quota so my quota is 25 units and I was missing maybe like two visits because patients canceled on me so I was like okay so I need to do evals to make up for it now I didn't realize that I still got to see those other two people next week. And then now I have more people on my caseload. So I was like reaching over 30 in my quote. I was like, what did I just do? (laughs) So I was so overwhelmed that whole week. I was like, I I can't do this. This is too much. (laughs) And so it's like so important, as you said, time management and just kind of even planning months or like weeks in advance before. things start to pile up because I never want to feel like that ever again (laughs) because it was just so overwhelming so I don't have as many patients as much as you have for kids but I feel the same way with the scheduling I think it's so beautiful that we have that flexibility on whether you know wherever you see a patient as long as they see them for the amount of time Right. For that session, that's all they really care about. Right. <laughs> and you get that documentation in, and you're good. Yeah. So yeah. I totally yeah. get that part. Yeah, it, it's nice too at the schools. The difficult part about scheduling is like these students also have like other providers or, you know, I might have a kid who has OT, speech, PT, adaptive PE, who are all, you know, one-on-one services. So right. They- that in on top of you can't pull the kid during recess or lunch or, right. or computers mm-hmm. and so there's like 
maybe three slots available for this kid <laughs> and yeah, then like parents oh. are, you know a little like you know they'll come in and they don't want their kid pulled during math and so there's so much restrictions on when kids can be pulled that can make scheduling a little bit tough but um the good part about schools is you really learn a lot about advocacy um really advocating for what you need and what your students need and um your caseload needs. I've learned a lot in speaking up for myself because it, yeah. it 100 is low for our, our mm-hmm. department. We have some people, you know, with 150 plus. And oh so God. I've been being really good about saying no, 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 no. <laughs> good, <laughs> good. So that's been a huge, huge learning curve for me. For sure. And you just talked quickly about like advocacy, like advocating for yourself, knowing when things are too much for you or knowing Mm -hmm. when some like a type of treatment or a type of therapy is important for this child to reach Mm -hmm. his goal or her goal or their goal because OT especially in the school setting like the goal is to make sure that they're being successful in school Mm -hmm. so if we if you feel that they need therapy to be successful in school you have to advocate for that child so yeah. can you give me like one example of a time where you had to advocate for a student or even advocate for yourself? Yeah. Oh gosh. I have a lot of examples because it's like, <laughs> it's a daily thing. That, that's a skill mm. that um, you definitely learn in this setting. Um, an example of where I probably had to advocate for myself is space. Um, a lot mm. of, because we're at multiple school sites, we're not necessarily, um, I kind of call ourselves, we call ourselves like transient employees. So we're not necessarily housed just at one um, school site. And and so it's kind of difficult for administration and front desk staff and teachers to kind of really accept us into their school environment and and their campus Mm -hmm. and treat us like one of their own. And so oftentimes they don't prioritize us for space. I was, there's times that I was working in hallways or closets with students. And so I really had to sit down with a principal and say, you know, like, what can we do? You know, because with HIPAA um, requirements and other things, like this isn't acceptable for what this kid needs and like what I need. Um, And so we were able to kind of sit down and hash out kind of what she thought OT was and kind of what we were doing and what was expected of us. And so it's really hard to kind of get that respect because again, we're in an education system where OT is completely unknown. Like we, you might have patients who aren't familiar with occupational therapy. You might have, you know, DOs who might be, you know, kind of familiar with the name in the healthcare field, but in education, that's like, who are you? You Thank know, you. <laughs> like, right? Like, why are you in my school? <laughs> why are you at my school? They don't understand <laughs> our education. They don't understand our expertise, our training, our licensing. And so it's a lot of advocating to get them to understand what kind of professional we are. Um, so yeah. I'm always advocating for space. In terms of like student needs, I've advocated a lot for kids who have like vision difficulties. Um, mm. of students have visual perceptual deficits um and so i'm always kind of recommending to families based on my report that like this 
this isn't my expertise. This might be, you know, developmental optometrist and kind of recommending right. them go get a referral through their primary. And that's kind of a taboo thing to do in the education system, which seems backwards to me, but because of the legalities around IEPs um, and the school system in general, we are not supposed to recommend services, which is so strange to me. We're not supposed to recommend services um, or anything to a parent because then the school district is held liable to provide those services. And so a lot of times what happens is we sit in these meetings and people beat around the bush and they know what kids might need, but they're afraid to say that your kid needs this support because the district would have to provide it. And I'm not afraid to say it. <laughs> so I normally, I kind of get like crazy eyes when I say, hey, I recommend you go and look into this. I get, I get like, why are you saying that? But yeah, I'm like, you know, we need to advocate for students. Like we need to tell parents straight up, you know, like what's going on. I get, we have to navigate through things legally. Um, but I don't see why I can't recommend, like, why don't you go get your kid's eyes checked, you know? Right. <laughs> so, no, so a lot of that, wow. yeah, a lot of that has been me kind of walking the line and um, really not being afraid to speak up for the kid. And most of the time parents receive it well. I mean, there are parents that I know that I can't recommend anything because it'll be <laughs> too done. legal, too fast. <laughs> yeah, so, you're like, okay, I'm... I already know how this is going to play out. So yeah. let me just not. <laughs> yeah. But the majority of families, you know, they're just looking for answers and they're just looking for support and they're just mm -hmm. looking for human connection. They're not looking for yeah. the IEP, you know, guidelines, the IEP language, you know, and I found I'm, it's more, I'm more successful when I just talk to families and, you know, I'm not spitting these crazy phrases at them. I'm just talking right. to them, hearing their concerns and, you know, just saying what I see. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I get that completely. Like, even with my small little experience in an IEP meeting during my field work, it gets, it can get really tense in there, you know, like you're in this classroom and it's like this circle of so many people, like all the staff <laughs> in the room and then the, the parent and the child, depending if the child is there, but, you know, you got the parent in the middle and then you got all of the support systems there the teacher or the like even maybe the teacher's aid and then you got the OT might have the PT the speech and then everybody's giving their report and yeah. as you said if you're giving them all of these like OT terms that they have no idea what you're talking about how's that helping them like they right. just want to know like what are you doing to provide for my child to make sure that they're being successful in school yeah. Sometimes parents care about it. Sometimes they don't. But like for the most part, the parents do want to know what you're doing is helping their child. And if you're breaking it down in a way that's going to make sense to them, that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. But yeah. oh my gosh, IEP meetings. I sometimes I get nervous, and I, I wasn't even the one talking. I was just observing. <laughs> yeah. No, it's totally intimidating. I still, I still to this day get like a little nervous, even with my families that I know I'm good with, um, yeah. with IEPs, because just the whole process around it is just, it could be so much better, I feel like, and I feel like parents come in kind of feeling like they're attacked, and they're throwing right. all this stuff, and 
even, you know, I'm a professional in the educational field and Mm -hmm. it was hard at first for me to grasp all of the educational language. I'm sitting in meetings and I'm like phonological who syntax where not understanding (laughs) and like, I'm just, I'm like, I don't get what you're saying. What does that mean? What does that number mean? And a lot of people don't break that down for families. They just say, oh yeah, the phonological processing of 69 and parents have like no idea what does that mean (laughs) yeah and so I just feel like we could be more candid about what you know where the kid is at and how we're helping them but there's so many legal things around it that I think it gets kind of lost in the shuffle yeah for sure it does yeah oh my gosh like that I'm I just (laughs) always thinking about that I'm like oh my gosh these IP meetings are so scary for not just the parent, but even the professional who may not even know the other scope of practice for like the teacher's point of view. And when they're reporting, you're like, okay, what does that mean? (laughs) Like, I don't understand what that means either. So if you as a professional don't understand what that means, imagine how the parent feels. Right. Yeah. And that's how I was feeling when I first started of like, I barely know what these terms are and I'm on the professional team. Like how in the world would a parent, you know, understand? And that's what really kind of helped me to slow down and explain things a little bit better about, Mm -hmm. you know, what I'm doing. With us, it's a little bit easier to explain the things that we address, but, and a lot of times, like I would have pictures of kids that I thought they were doing this well. And then the teacher reports and I'm like, oh you're <laughs> totally different than I thought yeah yeah no that's so true that happened a few times too um with some of our kids the teachers just say one thing and you're like well he's actually doing pretty well in OT <laughs> and he's like wait what I'm like yeah like wait maybe you should try some of these other strategies in the classroom Maybe he might be more successful in the classroom. And it also giving your idea as the OT too, mm-hmm. as to why he may be progressing. Like maybe he's progressing because we actually take him out of the classroom with less distractions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other things that he can work on that's not exactly like academic based, like writing sentences down, doing classwork. He's actually like, it looks like play to him, but he's actually is doing work. So yeah. It's like different strategies of how like the OT is doing therapy and he's being successful in that versus like, oh, he has to do his math homework or something. Yeah. Yeah. No, seriously. And the, the biggest thing about schools is getting that buy-in from classroom teachers, especially there's some that are great with the buy-in and welcome you into their classroom and there's others who yeah. don't. And so, <laughs> and you can see, you can see the difference. You can see kids who, you know, aren't using the strategies or carrying things over and the teacher isn't necessarily reinforcing it and their progress mm-hmm. is flat. And you see kids where I have a great relationship with the teacher and their progress, you know, goes through the roof. So that buy-in right. from staff is huge. For real. And I see that in all types of settings too, just like carry over with like my patients who are older adults, they're not gonna remember everything that I say. So it's really up to the spouse or the caregiver to really reinforce the information that I'm providing. Because if I'm talking until my whole face turns blue, that you need to do this, you need to do that, and keep on repeating it, I'm hoping that you're doing this when I'm not here, because I'm not Mm -hmm. here every day. I'm only here 
two times or three times out of the week. So that carryover, it's so huge. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So let's transition into your Instagram because I will, first of all, I love your Instagram name. I think it's so bomb. Um, It's so simple, but like it speaks volumes, honestly. And I kind of want to kind of go deep into that as to why you made that name. So just let everybody know what the name of your Instagram is and why did you choose that name? Yeah. So you guys can find me at that one OT. Um, That name means so much to me because I felt like in my new grad season, I was always kind of ostracized as that one OT, you know, people kind Mm -hmm. of avoided me, people didn't really want to work with me. I had, you know, not the most friendliest front desk staff that I might be coming across. Um, I had parents who didn't want to work with me. And so I just felt like I was always that one OT and not someone that people Mm -hmm. were willing to work with. Um, And it really messed with my self-esteem and my confidence and my abilities um, as a clinician. And I just started, I just, I hated standing out. I hated, you know, sitting in IEP meetings and parents coming in and being surprised that I'm this black (laughs) young (laughs) therapist sitting at the table or um, I've had many, many teachers think that I was a student on campus at an elementary school site, which is like, come on. Um, I don't look that young. (laughs) Um, I've had, you know, teachers automatically assume that I was the para or I was a teacher's aide. Um, And I've just had a lot of like prejudices, even with patients when I worked um, in my rehab position. Um, just flat out say like, I'm not working with you. And so I always just was like, it it was a hard adjustment for me. Yeah. It's like, you always have to keep your guard up because you never know what, what's going to happen. Yeah. And it, and so like, I was battling kind of all those things. And then I also just was battling being in, being a new grad in general and kind of just navigating that new grad anxiety. And I was already second guessing myself and being a new grad and thinking I knew enough and then to have people kind of almost reinforce that it was just like oh it was so yeah it's a lot it was a lot and it was overwhelming it was so overwhelming for my first year um but then once I really kind of started stepping in to that and leaning into that identity of like I am that 102 like I am this black girl doing my thing in this field Mm -hmm. students love me you know and I'm good at what I do and once I started accepting that identity I kind of just had a chip on my shoulder of like I am that one OT (laughs) and I'm gonna change that's awesome (laughs) no for sure oh my gosh I love that because I'm in that new OT phase right now where I'm questioning like do I really know anything you know it it gets scary to the point where you know I had a discussion with my dad and I like literally broke down crying he's like why are you crying I'm like I just want to be a good therapist (laughs) because it's just like it gets so much when like okay when you're in OT school you feel like you're on top of the world you know what you're doing and everything and like when you pass your boards, like, wow, like I'm really going to be an OT. And then when you actually get into it, those first couple of months get so 
overwhelming and you're like wait did I sign up for all of this right no yeah for real I remember I remember calling some of my girlfriends from the program and being like this isn't it like I'm not I don't think OT is for me and like seeing my other you know friends flourish in their first jobs and I'm like jumping from job to job and feeling like overwhelmed and it there'd be days that I would just be in like fight or flight and I would be so anxious all day like scared to make a mistake scared to not do the right thing and I already was in my head because I felt like I was already standing out because I am black and because I am this young person and so yeah it's just like I can't make a mistake can't make a mistake but I don't know what I'm Mm -hmm. doing but no one's helping me and it just was it was overwhelming and I feel like in the program we obviously OT is an amazing profession and we kind of leave on a high excited to enter this amazing profession but you know kind of really told us with this amazing profession there's still going to be ethical things that you come across there's still going to be patients who don't want to work with you or families there's going to be documentation and time management you're going to have to fight for your job um, and right. people <laughs> know what you do and so I think that was a huge like reality check of like this isn't rainbows and butterflies anymore <laughs> like, <laughs> real life this is a real right. job and yeah so it was hard it was really hard yeah it I mean like right now I'm getting kind of hang of it but of course everybody has their their up days and their down days and you know some days are better than others but you know when I do have those good days it it definitely makes it count or it makes you realize like yeah you're in the right profession like yeah Yeah. you are a good OT when those bad days come you're like oh my gosh (laughs) this isn't it (laughs) yeah this isn't this isn't it you just start beating yourself up and it yeah Oh gosh, it was just so overwhelming. And I think for me, I had always battled a little bit with it with anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. I think in being an athlete, I was always moving through it. And I was always in spaces, even in the program where I felt accepted. I might have experienced like prejudice and stuff in the program, but in general, mm-hmm. I felt accepted by my cohort. I felt accepted by my teammates and my coaches. Right. Jobs that I had on campus were, you know, working at a gym or things like that. And so I always was felt like I was accepted. And in my new season, I feel like this was the first time that I really wasn't. And it was just a huge kind of wake up call for me to kind of navigate that. And I definitely seen my anxiety kind of pop up more than I knew. So I definitely Mm -hmm. had to battle, battle, battle anxiety in my first year. Right. So can you talk a little bit about how you overcame like that grad season or like the anxiety of stepping into like this new role? Like now we know like we're not OT students anymore. We're actually like a a practitioner. How do you overcome that? I mean, it it took time. It took a lot. Um, I'm I'm very faith-based. So I relied heavily, heavily on God and prayer. But in general, like there came a point where me praying and not putting any action behind it, like wasn't helping me. And so I had started going to therapy and 
Um, I'm so open about it because I think everyone, everyone should go to therapy. It literally mm-hmm. changed my life because I was able to bring in my faith principles and really work on rewiring the thoughts that I have surrounding my new grad season and surrounding my identity as a clinician. Like I've never been a very negative person, but in that season, I was just so negative And I just was, I literally would replay mistakes or feelings like over and over all day long. Like, and so it was really hard for me to move through my work days. Um, mm-hmm. And so a lot of it was challenging those anxious thoughts and you know, even thinking about like, is this mistake going to matter a week from now? Is it going to matter a month from now, a year from now? And really learning how to stop my thoughts in the moment um, and also be open and accepting to making a mistake. Like, how am I supposed to be a better clinician if I don't continue making these mistakes? So Yeah, no, that's so true. Like, I know we always want to be perfect and everything like that. But like, as you said, it's okay to make a mistake and learn from it so you're not going to do it again but how can you prevent the mistake if you never made the mistake right right yeah, yeah. and a lot of it is just changing your mindset around what a mistake is it's not a negative thing mm. it's, it's yeah. inevitable we make mistakes all our life I mean even with sports like I we make mistakes we train we work we practice like that's what practice is for and we welcome our mistakes yeah welcome our failures when we play sports so why should it be any different you know when we're in our profession like we should welcome that we're training right now and the biggest piece of advice or mindset shift that I had was that as a therapist um we always have this this angst around being the perfect therapist and wanting our of course we want our patient or our client or a student to go from A to B and just progress and be awesome. And mm-hmm. be you know, as soon as we start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we put all this pressure on ourselves to be this great therapist when in actuality, like we're only here to plant the seed with this client, patient, student. Like we're only here for a small piece of our patient's therapy journey, life journey. Like we're not gonna be in their life for the next 50 years. And so if you can just show up as your best self for these next year or so, whatever you're planting the seed for the therapy journey. Um, And so that kind of helped me take the pressure off my back and say, I'm not fixing everything. I'm not fixing person, I'm just, being that human connection and meeting them where they're at in their journey at this moment so yeah no that's so important and I think that's something I have to keep reminding myself too because even during my first couple evals in my new job I was like in the documentation form we'll say like oh what what are like the deficits whatever and I was clicking everything I was like ADLs IADLs and bathing and toileting and my my boss was like looking through and she's like okay Amber are you gonna work on all of those things and I'm like no I would love to but like I know I don't have time to and she's like okay like what are the things that are like most meaningful for this patient or what do you really want to work on because you said you're not working with them for forever you're only working for with them for a certain amount of time and you want to plant the seed you're just a part of their process like they're or you're like a part of their journey so right. you just being your authentic self, you providing the best care that you can give for that one specific thing, at least that they will show some type of progress 
before they met you and after. So they're going to just continue on that path. So I think that's so important that we can't do, we can't work on everything. And um, we're not like, (laughs) I don't know how to put it. It's like, we're not the ones that can just make everything perfect. You know, like we can add a little snippet here and there and like, okay, like this worked, that's great. But we can't fix everything. Right. And that will definitely bring the pressure down on ourselves because I feel like I put so much pressure on myself to be the best OT that I can be. And sometimes I have to take a step back. I'm like, Amber, you tried your best. Like you Mm -hmm. have put 110 effort on like this patient. Like right now I have a patient that I had for a couple of months now. And I feel like he hasn't really made like a lot of progress at all. And I've been trying so much with him. Like, I'm like, okay, like maybe he might show progress at the next progress note. And it's literally like the same thing. And I feel so bad that like everything that I have been trying with him is not working. And I feel like a bad therapist. I'm like, oh my gosh, I had this man for like over like two months and he has not shown anything. Like he may, he showed a little progress, but like not as much as I was expecting, but um, I remember you were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, making sure that we're doing our part in mm-hmm. our role. So not mm-hmm. just, you know, providing care, but also giving recommendations. Maybe they need to see another type of therapist to work on this specific thing. And right. he might get better and he might come back to OT and improve more. So like, I'm kind of like on that stage now where I'm like, okay, I really feel like he will benefit more from PT right now because he needs the strength and all that stuff mm-hmm. for OTs we can't really focus on that all the way because it has to be function but he can't do function things if he doesn't have strength yeah. so I've been like thinking of it in that way I'm like okay I've been trying my best hopefully like that recommendation like on my end is going to help him reach his goal sooner or later yeah yeah no I, I totally agree like we have to start taking the pressure off of ourselves. And it, in reality, it's not about us. So what, yeah. like, it's really not about me. It's not about who I am as an OT or whatever. Like at the end of the day, this person needs occupational therapy. And so I'm just gonna show up and be my best self. I can't keep beating myself up for mistakes I made. I can't beat myself up. Um, for you know maybe not seeing as much progress as I think because it's not about if I'm a good enough therapist that can progress someone it's just about meeting this person where they're at planting the seed and kind of just letting it go from there so that's helped me and then it's really helped um having creating a plan you know for my new grad season so when I was really overwhelmed I felt like I just need to research more. I just need to treatment plan more. I just need to work longer after work and work on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And the more information I soak up, like the better I feel. And I still would show up overwhelmed and anxious. Yeah. And so a lot of it is drawing lines with your personal life. Like I, we can be passionate therapists and still draw the line with not working outside of work. Like OT right. is a profession, but it's also just your job. And so when in my new grad season, when I really started focusing on things that I was passionate about outside of my job, I, my 
my confidence just kind of just rose. Um, and, you know, I wasn't relying on having a treatment plan all the time to feel good about what I'm doing. <laughs> no, that's, that's huge too. Like knowing the cutoff between, okay, this is work and now I'm going to do this for myself. And um, I'm glad that you found the, like something that is passionate for yourself or like something that is meaningful for you to do that's outside of your job. And uh, for me, I love working out and I really try my best to make sure like I'm still doing that because that makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. And if I don't do it, I feel something is off, you know? So that that is a huge thing for sure. And I also try my best not to work on weekends um, because, you know, your weekends are your weekends. <laughs> like you should try to enjoy your weekends. So yeah. um, I agree. Yeah. I think, yeah, I felt like if I, I, I was really bad to where I was working every Saturday and Sunday and I was just treatment planning and trying to prepare for the week. And I felt guilty if I didn't work on Saturdays and it just was a hot mess. Like my social life, you know, declined, my family life declined, my like physical health. Like I just was so focused on trying to figure this problem out with work that like I ignored everything else in my life. And I felt like if I didn't work on the weekends, then I didn't know enough for the upcoming week. Mm. So that was a big um, habit and thought that I had to learn to break. Um, and once I really just stopped working cold turkey on the weekends and I showed up and I was still able to do my job, I realized like, hmm, I do know oh. stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have to rely on planning. I don't have to rely on research. I don't have to rely on all of this. And so it really kind of helped my self-esteem because I started to learn my own strengths and figure out what I'm good at. Because for most of my new grad season, I felt like I have, I have to dedicate this time or I don't know anything. So that really helped yeah. myself in creating a balance planned for me. Yeah. No, that's good to know because I, I feel like I do that all the time. I'm like, okay, I have to treatment plan for the week in the weekends for the week. So I know I'm doing. And when I kind of took a little step back, I was like, okay, I don't have to dedicate so much time my weekend because then I have no weekend left. Yeah. <laughs> so when well, mm -hmm. you think about it, like, did that planning really help you? Are you still anxious Sunday night? You're still probably the same amount of anxious. Yes. <laughs> so exactly. <laughs> <you help? laughs> <It didn't. laughs> right. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm so glad that you were able to kind of pinpoint like what was going on during your grad season because I know I'm not the only one listening to you right now and saying like, oh, I'm not the only one that's doing that <laughs> because I honestly felt like I was doing the most. And even so, even now, like sometimes I still feel like I'm doing the most, but it's a process. And sooner or later, I'll get out of this grad season and start gaining more confidence in myself and advocating for myself more and all that other stuff but being a part of my grad season or being in my grad season is normal right. and I think that's something to keep in mind too for anybody that's listening that is a new OT like myself it's okay <laughs> like we will get through it and it's kind of like a part of the process it is yeah it's totally a part of the process but you know also keeping in mind of 
because that's what I was told of like, oh, it's just normal. You know, are my parents like, this is just normal. You'll be fine. I'm like, yeah, but what I, what do I do? Cause I'm, <laughs> I'm drowning and I'm overwhelmed and I feel like I'm going to break. Like I need some help. And so my, I don't know, my biggest piece of advice for, for people out there who might be kind of experiencing what we're experiencing is to just really focus on your mindset and your anxious thoughts and um, working on challenging those thoughts working on creating a, a balanced plan for yourself and feeding passions outside of work. Um, it's going to be hard because you're going to be learning every single day. But when you can feed your mindset and do things that you're passionate about outside of work, like slowly each day gets better and better. And you're able to kind of navigate everything else at work when you're feeding other things outside of that. So. That's great. Thank you so much, Danielle, for all that you have given. Oh my goodness, you have dropped so many gems on like everything. And I think this is a really good episode for new grads, for new OTs to listen to, because I feel that there's no podcast out there that really talks about this. Um, yeah. I feel that everybody just talks about like the success story, like, oh, I'm a great OT. That's it. Like, no, like yeah. there's more to it. You it's know, like good. I need to hear the nitty and gritty, like the 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 stuff that people don't really want to discuss, you know, like we get anxiety, we we get overwhelmed to the point where we're like, is this for me? You know, mm -hmm. and everybody goes through it, but how do we overcome it? Yeah. And um I thank you so much, Danielle, for just, you know, being vulnerable and transparent and telling us about your story and about the life as a Pete's OT with your 100 kids. <laughs> yeah, that's a work in progress. <laughs> no, seriously, thank you for having me. This, this whole um, thing about new grad anxiety and fear of failure and making mistakes, whatever, I feel like is kind of one of my passions to talk about. I love talking about it. I love working with people and mentoring people through exactly like where I've been. Um, and so that's definitely what I'm trying to build with that one OT is creating more of that one new grads who have a chip on their shoulder and are overcoming things. And um, so, yeah, I'm just, I'm just thankful for you inviting. Of course, anytime. So you guys, you guys heard her Instagram page is at that one OT. I'm also going to put that on the description underneath the podcast as well. So you guys definitely give her a follow. She has amazing content and just her personality is in her Instagram. Like it's just, it's so great. You have to follow her. She's, <laughs> she's, she's awesome. But thanks again, Danielle, for everything, for everything yeah. that you have said. It's been, it's been an awesome time to have you here and to talk to you for a little bit. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been it's been a lot of fun. And we're friends now, girls. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. This is this is not our only conversation. So no. I'm so excited no, to not. have more conversations with you. Yeah, totally. Yes. But guys, this was the next episode of Reaching Your Potential. I have my girl Danielle here talking about her experience as a Pete's OT and even about her experience during her grad season. So yeah, that's all we got for this one. Guys, you will be hearing from me pretty soon watch out for that and i'll talk to you guys soon peace out